don't even know the address. 66 Harborview Road. Hello, hello, and welcome to 66 Harborview Road, a podcast dedicated to ABC's General Hospital. I'm your host, Caitlin, and in today's episode, we are talking about the week of November 1st through the 5th. I want to start with Gladys running into the hospital to see Valentine. Brooklyn gets there just in the nick of time and plays it like Gladys is drunk. Not going to lie, I like that precedent. (laughs) Hopefully in the future, that will lead to no one believing Gladys about anything. At the same time, Maxie and Austin are having a chat, and he tries calling her out on if she likes him as a friend or if Maxie is working him for Brooklyn's benefit. Of course, she says no, but I myself am having a hard time understanding this relationship. Is Maxie being genuine, or is she getting close to Austin to make sure he doesn't say anything about Louise's birth in the woods? And ever since Gladys made it apparent she has that recording, I have wanted Maxie in Brooklyn to enlist the help of Spinelli. I feel like he could have erased Gladys's phone, and even with the copies, he could have tracked her to each location, and I think we could have taken care of this. I really was missing Spinelli in these moments. Uh, but when Brooklyn gets Gladys to leave the hospital, we see her have another conversation with Austin, like Gladys and Austin. So I am betting these two are going to end up working together against Brooklyn. But if Gladys is too loud and open, Austin isn't going to work with her because he's going to need someone stealthy to help pull off whatever it is that he's planning. After this, Brooklyn tells Maxie that Gladys has evidence only proving Valentine is not the father, not who Bailey really is. So they meet at Kelly's to discuss how they're going to keep Gladys silent. Again, call Spinelli, but instead Maxie calls this other PI, who's not Sam, to help. And this is some sort of friend of Nina's, I guess. So somehow we're going to trust Nina more than we would trust Sam or Spinelli. I don't really understand that for Maxie, but this is what we got. So at this point, I am making the comparison that Gladys is Voldemort, hiding Horcruxes all over the place, all over Port Charles, and they have to destroy each one individually in order to destroy Gladys. I just hope these girls do a good job. I really don't want Gladys to be the one to spill the beans on this whole situation. If this is going to come out and Peter is going to come back to Port Charles and try and take Louise, I do not want it to be because of Gladys. And while they're discussing this at Kelly's, Chase comes in and he says there's a lot of details that don't add up in Louise's kidnapping. I was surprised Brooklyn was quick on her feet telling Chase, you know, how dare you walk up here and talk about Louise so coldly, not giving Maxie time to prepare for questions. And this is buying them a small amount of time. I mean, Chase has been stuck behind a desk. He's chalking it up to, oh my gosh, am I, am I that rusty at, at being out talking to people? I just don't want Chase to lose confidence because of this, uh, because of this whole situation. He wants to be a good detective. He wants to be good in the PCPD, but the PCPD can't catch bad guys. Jason has to, apparently. (laughs) Oh, and Jason, taking Brit swimming in the Mediterranean waters to get to Cassadine Island. I could not. So they climb out of the water, and Brit went to go change her clothes. And it was clear that there is still some sexual tension between Brit and Jason, but Brit does not need Jason, nor does she need to go back to him. But here's the thing. 
Britt does not have any kids. She doesn't have a whole lot of family ties besides Liesl, their whole purpose for going to Greece. So there are possibilities there. We may not like it in the audience, but we have no idea what the writers are planning for these two and their future. So Spinelli finds them an abandoned building to hide in, and at first I was confused why they were acting strange inside this building, but then I realized the audience was supposed to believe it was pitch black inside. Uh, they could have turned the lights down a smidgen more, in my opinion, but I'm not in show business. I'm not in lighting. I, I don't know what they can and cannot do for filming. So Jason leaves. I wasn't sure if he was going to fix the speedboat or find Liesl, uh, but he does end up finding Peter. Meanwhile, Liesl wakes up handcuffs on the floor. Peter's looming over her, the last thing anyone wants to see. <laughs> and you realize during this scene that Peter is so far removed. He believes Liesl can get Maxie to like him again or get her under mind control. Like, ew, Peter, come on. I saw some people on soap Twitter upset that Liesl used uh, hydrochloric acid to dismantle Peter enough so she could escape. I thought it was funny. I thought it was the perfect thing for Peter. The buffoonery that is Peter is refreshing to all the mob violence for me. But then Jason from the mob enters the room. <laughs> so he tricks Peter into taking all the guards up to the north part of the island and Jason is leading Peter uh, back to the abandoned building. So Britt hears a noise while inside. She can't see, she's frightened. So she happens to take this thing off the wall, which is like a harpoon or something. And I thought, oh my God, he just hit Jason. Good job, girl. But then it turned out to be Liesl. And I was so distraught for a moment. And then when she's lying there and Britt says, well, it didn't hit any organs, so we're just going to push it all the way through. Oh, my God. What a great mother-daughter team, though. I mean, honestly, I love that Britt and Liesl have mended their differences and people like Liesl again. And she's trying to be a good person or as good as a Liesl Obrecht can be. <laughs> And when Jason does finally come back, he is face-to-face -face with Drew and Peter. <laughs> I think this is why a lot of people don't like Peter. It's his words, man. Like, who talks like that? <laughs> brother against brother, what will you choose? Like, who are you, Peter? <laughs> I was laughing the whole time. I just, I loved it. I thought it was such great relief for me through the show. You had the heavy, sunny stuff happening. I think that the Peter stuff is a good refresher. It gives us that fantasy element to General Hospital that I love so much. You know, going back to the Ice Princess storyline. I mean, how realistic was it that Mikos was going to freeze weather, you know? But it's, it was great TV. It's, it's hilarious in some ways, and I think it's great entertainment. So while Peter is talking like a fool, um, I was just thinking, how are we going to foil Peter's plan? Liesl is trying to get Drew to remember Scout, and I thought Drew was kind of faking this mind control and just pull a 180 on Peter and say, call an ambulance, but not for me, and, you know, point the gun back at Peter. <laughs> that would have been the best. And we still have options with Peter, guys. I mean, we can arrest him multiple times. He can escape. We don't need him on the run this long. We can. It's okay to get him. 
It's okay to arrest him. It's okay to, to incapacitate him. I, I don't know why it seems the writers are afraid to, uh, but I, I do think it's time. As entertaining as Peter has been for me and how I laugh at him, and I, I do think it's time to move on from him or at least give us something to pivot to, like bring him back to Port Charles and have him lurking around Port Charles. I think he would be better off doing that than whatever the heck he was trying to do with Liesl and all of that business. And also, we all know Jason could have shot Drew in the leg and probably would have been able to get away, but for Soaps, he had to give up his gun. Like, I had to be okay with this exchange because I believe they will be able to get word to Port Charles that Drew is still alive, and no one was able to confirm or deny his death for the second time. <laughs> Jeez, can you imagine? So, the only loose ends with Greece back in Port Charles is Victor and Valentine. So Val's surgery goes well, of course, and Anna by his side. And it's at this time Valentine suggests bringing Victor to GH. And Anna says, uh, I don't think so. But they do it anyway. Glad to see Victor's not in orange. I prefer the blue jumpsuits much better. And uh, the banter between the three of them, magic. I loved every second of it. But if Victor really thinks he's going to get immunity, like, dude, you also have previous crimes that the law will not forget. <laughs> Victor does double down on how he is Valentine's father and basically helped him through life invisibly, which again, doesn't make sense seeing as he would know that he has two grandchildren and why wouldn't he try to make contact? I don't know. I'm just going to have to wait and see what the writers are doing with this Victor Cassidyne character. Again, it's a nice break from the mob-related activity on GH. But we can't always escape it, of course. So Sonny goes to Carly, and he does tell her about the Cyrus phone call and that he's going to go visit him. And I thought I was seeing a little jealousy with Carly for wanting to still be the head of the family. And at this time, Sam and Dante are returning from Greece, holding hands and skipping in the Metro Court restaurant, filling in the Corinthos family on the goings-on in Greece, and basically announce that they're dating. Uh, Carson is on board with it. I'm, uh, I just, it's too close for me. It was weird seeing the four of them together, because I remember Sam being Sonny's pregnant mistress and Carly having to deal with that. So it's very bizarre for me to see that everyone's okay with Sam dating Dante. I don't know. Whatever. I guess they're all over it. Uh, Carly escorts Sam to the table in the restaurant and Dante and Sonny get to talk. So they start out talking about Cyrus. Then they go on to Sam. Still, it's just too weird seeing the two father and son talk about, I can't, uh, I just, I could never, but <laughs> this is what we have, and this is what we will see played out, and you know what, I gotta be okay with it, I, I think I've said this before, if I can get through Sonny and Emily, I can get through Sam and Dante. So Carly and Sam talk about Drew, and then they talk about Dante. I think Carly just likes Sam being occupied. And she also believed Lulu was over Dante, otherwise she would not be encouraging this. But as soon as Lulu wakes up and admits that she wanted Dante back, she was going to say no to Dustin, Carly will work on breaking up Sam and Dante, believe me. And she will not feel sorry about it because Lulu is her cousin. And she probably believes that Lulu and Dante are true love, just like Maxie said last week. 
Uh, so by Wednesday's episode, we're supposed to believe as an audience that this has been a couple of days now. So Sonny is on his way to go visit Cyrus. And glad to see the old Sonny is in there when it comes to business. Cyrus mentions the explosion at the Jarley wedding and says that Joey Novak is on his way home to take his place as head of the Novak family and that the rest of them are backing him. So this will be classic mob versus mob. Uh, I did have to chuckle when Cyrus asked about Lara. He went from mobster to concerned puppy brother real quick. <laughs> that will be his Achilles heel for life, just wanting the love of a real family. And this makes me miss Martin Gray real bad. <laughs> so after this visit, Sonny gets a call from Carly and he says, don't worry about it. I'm back and I will take care of this. So does that mean that we have old Sonny back and Mike is gone forever? Or are we going to get glimpses of Mike as soon as Sonny gets around Nina? Guess we'll have to see. Uh, but what he was referring to was Joey Novak already being back in Port Charles. The first thing he does is approach Carly. And when I tell you I jumped when he started after her and she stood up, that was very powerful. Carly did not let this man get in her face at all. And this all took place at the Savoy, where Carly and Olivia were having drinks. They were having a girls' night out, checking out their competition with Curtis and... Austin's there. Gladys is also there with Brooklyn's credit card. Austin's very intrigued by Gladys, but she's too drunk for Austin to get any information that he can use, so he kind of ignores her for the most part. Instead, Gladys goes to join Carly and Olivia, and she witnesses the Joey Novak harassment. It was great seeing her scared, by the way. <laughs> Curtis and his men, they stepped in very quickly. They threw Joey out. Uh, he is then met by Portia, and he, she has a sketch that Liz offered to put together of this lurker that we have. And surprisingly, Curtis does not know him. I really thought he was going to look at that paper and be like, oh, yeah, this is so-and-so. Why is he here? He's supposed to be dead, or he's supposed to be out of town, or, you know, whatever. Uh, but now I'm even more intrigued. Like, who is this guy? And while Joey Novak is out on the pier screaming and yelling about going after people, going after Curtis's club, he turns around and the lurker is standing there. And he was not happy. And I thought, well, he's not Curtis's dad, but he cares about Curtis. So this is not going to go well for Joey. <laughs> and by Thursday's episode, Dante is called to the hospital because Joey Novak was beaten almost to death. I think we all assumed it was Sonny. I assumed it was until I remembered the lurker was there and probably took care of Joey himself. So Sonny and Carly show up and Sonny goes to see Joey, tells him that he's in this situation because of his arrogance. Joey is shaking in his hospital gown and this meeting ends with Sonny getting control of the Novak territory. Man, I promise you, I will have my episode about the Wu family out soon. I am working on it. I'm watching episodes on YouTube. They're from 1985. There's a lot to get through, but I'm getting a really, really good base of what the Wu family foundation was, and I'm making some pretty cool connections I think you guys will like. So I promise I will have that out before there is a huge mob family war. <laughs> but all in all, this scene was very heavy. Sonny was very dark in these scenes, and it made me wonder if he's doubling down on mob stuff to avoid the Nina situation, 
But whatever it is, I do think this separation from Nina and Nixon Falls and Phyllis will prove to be beneficial for him in the long run as far as his business and his marriage to Carly, if that's what we're holding on to. So Sonny returns to the Metro Court. He runs into Ava, and she wants more access to Avery if the mob business is going to flare up. And he goes, no, I got it handled. And to my surprise, he suggests family therapy to heal Spencer instead of exiling him. But Ava and Nicholas assume that Spencer will come crawling back for the money. Because it's Ava and Nicholas. Money to them is love. <laughs> Nicholas has never handled things well. I mean, really, if you look into his past, uh, just even, even his recent past, a grown man returning from the grave pretended to be a ghost, terrorize Ava about her dead daughter, Kiki. Like, literally, Nicholas, come on. So in the beginning of the week, we got to see Spinelli working with Sean to record Nicholas, hopefully admitting that he was behind Hayden's shooting. Spencer is with Nicholas on the pier, and this fight was phenomenal. Emotions were high. Tension was thick. Spencer tried using emotion to turn Nicholas at first, stating that he liked Hayden. What happened to her? She was nice to him. Nicholas tosses Spencer's phone in the water, tries to rip his shirt open to reveal a wire, and I'm sorry, the only thing I thought of in that moment was, oh my god, his phone. <laughs> I mean, Spencer now has no money and no resources. So tossing that phone into the harbor was like tossing Spencer's last lifeline into the harbor to me. But I was wondering how much of Spencer's speech was real and how much was embellished to try and get Nicholas to admit to the shooting cover-up. And then bam, Sean shows up. Not being able to take the fighting between father and son, I guess. I mean, he was overhearing the whole thing. I, I didn't expect him to confront Nicholas and... The most heartbreaking moment for me here was when Nicholas admitted to another dealing with Hayden in which she was going to get a cut of the money that Nicholas was going to get from Valentine when he brought himself back to life. Like Hayden was a part of that whole let's take down Valentine as well as Jack's. Sean's face just changed after that. He wanted justice for Hayden, but Hayden is selfish and now Sean feels like he doesn't have enough leverage with just leveraging for himself like he was put away for too long and uh, everyone is in agreement with that and Nicholas just begins whining like a true Cassidine but his emotions are on point uh, will Nicholas bring Hayden back to prove a point we got a Rick Lansing name drop made me smile but also don't tease his name if you're not bringing him back he was an excellent character a little less so with the Nina Madeline stuff but all in all great villainous character also, I was thinking, why wouldn't you drop this information on Sean sooner or Alexis? It could have saved a lot of annoyance. Like, just tell people, Hayden knows exactly what happened with her shooting and she's okay with it because blah, blah, blah. Like, he could have done that. So, Nicholas is trying to turn the whole situation around into something he understands. Money. So, the two end up at Ava's gallery and use her back room to have their own little meeting. Sean tells Nicholas, I'll take your money, but only to bankroll a nonprofit to help people. And whenever it needs money, you will be there with it. So Nicholas kind of has to agree to this, but I'm sure he's already thinking of a way to cut ties. However, having your name tied with a nonprofit benefiting the community is a great place to be when all your other skeletons come out featuring Uncle Victor. 
And when Ava asked about what their business was in the back room, Nicholas straight up lies. Great. Then he goes and leaves the dumbest, most detailed voicemail for Victor that I have ever heard, where I am sure the authorities have Victor's personal effects. And I really hope Anna hears that voicemail, or Valentine for that matter. Also at the gallery is Ned Quartermain. I was surprised to see that, but man, his chemistry with Trina was great. And then Ava joins, and I thought, wow, a trio I never knew I needed. Trina then describes a one-day exhibit she wants to put together at the Jerome Gallery. And Ava shuts it down at first, and then Ned agrees to bankroll it, thinking Olivia will be impressed. I thought this was cute. Honestly, Ned has been trying for a while now to fix his marriage. I am team Ned Quartermain right now, and Olivia is getting on my nerves. Ned also buys a painting while at the gallery to gift to Olivia to hang in her office. And while he jets over to the metro to see her, she is having drinks with Robert. He's trying to be a good friend, and Olivia is drunk. So drunk that she kisses Robert. So weird how I wanted this at first, like so bad, but now that it's happened this way, I kind of hate it. <laughs> Robert was telling her, like, no, you have the wrong idea, but dear Lord, do not let him say he is pining for Anna. I'd rather him say he's been working behind the scenes to find out where Holly is. So Ned gets off the elevator just in time to see this spectacle in the restaurant, and he punches Robert in the face. I felt so bad for Robert and Ned. I mean, come on. Olivia opens up the gift, and she sees that it's a painting of a dog, and it's just so cute, and it's a cool painting. And she's crying, and she's running away. So is she crying because she realized Ned has been trying this whole time? Is it because she realizes that Ned does love her and she loves him too? Or is it just because she messed things up big time by kissing Robert? I don't know. Guess we'll find out next week. I just hope this doesn't mean Ned pulls out of the gallery exhibit. Trina is working hard at this already. And then, of course, Spencer has to show up. This boy just can't stay away. Trina is a strong woman like her mom, and she told him to get lost. Surround himself with better people. Come on, Spencer needed an umbrella during these scenes because it was raining facts all over him. I was sad that Trina had to slide in there that she can't trust him any more than she can trust her feelings for him. Like, no, don't give him that. But Spencer tells her he can't escape. And Trina thought he meant, like, escape being a Cassidine, the Cassidine curse, like, all of that. But I think... He truly meant Esme. Like, he cannot escape Esme. Once we find out what leverage she has, we will be rooting for Spencer. I mean, I'm not not rooting for him now. I'm just so mad at him right now. <laughs> so Esme is over at Kelly's, where Jocelyn shows up to study and hang out with Cameron. And they're such a cute couple. Esme is trying to push a fake friendship on the group, and one of my favorite lines Joss said was, What friends? Where? <laughs> Cameron expresses how angry he is at Spencer for ditching work, and Esme tries to cover for him, but there's no excuse, really. And as she's trying to make up for everything, she suggests a road trip, and my first thought was, why? Planning to kill Jocelyn, are we? And then it got weird. Esme digging into the intimate details of Jocelyn and Cameron's relationship? Like, that is so gross. No thanks, girl. Spencer arrives and gravels for his job, Cameron finally gives in because he's a good guy. I think this friendship will be stronger moving forward. Although not brothers the way Lucky and Nicholas were, they do kind of share a grandmother, so they gotta get used to having each other around a lot. 
By Thursday, Spencer is visiting the prison and asking Alexis for help. And Alexis just wants the Cassidines to be good people. At least that's what she spills to Harmony. Are these two becoming friends now? I don't know if I can get over Harmony giving her child to a cull. That's just me. <laughs> Something interesting happened in that conversation too. Alexis admits she's afraid to leave jail because of the unknown and the temptation to drink. Harmony breaks it down for a pretty good though. I mean, temptation will always be around and it's how you handle it that separates you from your addiction. It's also Esme's first day at the prison doing her internship and Harmony calls her out like, why are you here? Why does this prison interest you specifically? Then Esme says she believes in redemption. Then when she thinks no one is watching, she runs over to Ryan talking about our plan. And I'm eager to know what this connection is once and for all. By Friday's episode, we have Sean going in to see Alexis and brings her a gift. Thought it was very sweet of him. He fills her in on everything Spencer and Nicholas. Alexis is disappointed, but she does perk up when Sean mentions he's going to start a nonprofit, and he wants Alexis's help, and he wants to hire her when she's released. And in this conversation, did anyone else feel bad for Alexis when Sean was talking about living in her house? <laughs> At least it got us a Julian mention. Uh, so as Sean leaves to get this paperwork for the nonprofit, Alexis gets the pardon to leave prison. I was surprised. I'm curious if Nicholas just went ahead and did it for her anyway, or if this was something else. Back in Port Charles, Cameron is back working at Kelly's with Jocelyn there visiting. Spencer and Esme have to come in and bust up the couple moment, and then Spencer gets his first paycheck. And he is so mad. <laughs> Welcome to what it's like for the rest of the world, Spencer. <laughs> this is when Esme doubles down on playing nice with Ava, and this time Spencer agrees. So Spencer is on his way to the gallery where Portia has brought Trina breakfast, and I just love their relationship. Portia is so proud, but also reminds Trina to stay away from Spencer, and not five minutes after Portia leaves, Spencer shows up. So Spencer gives Trina this sob story, and she doesn't buy a minute of it. It was great. She calls him out hard and really made him think about his actions in that moment. Unfortunately, he let his temper get to him. When Ava returns with Nicholas, Spencer starts screaming how he doesn't want to be a castine anymore, how this whole situation is too damaging. And once he thanked Trina and walked out, I mean, the whole room was stunned. I think Trina is going to feel bad about Spencer denouncing his father, but she's also unaware of what Spencer knows about Nicholas. Also, this just hit me. How can Trina be close to Ava and Jocelyn? Because Jocelyn will always hold Ava responsible for Morgan's death. I don't know. That just came to me. <laughs> I can't wait for more Cassidine drama. Uh, I mean, do we think Spencer will team up with anyone? I heard rumblings that maybe it'll be Spencer and Victor versus Nicholas and Ava. I don't know. I, I don't see Spencer wanting to work with an adult or an older adult at this point. I think he really does want to try and make it on its own, but I do see him stumbling a lot. I do see him getting entangled with the wrong type of people. I mean, who knows? Will Esme convince him to do something worse than he's already done? This week had so many emotions and high tense scenes. I mean, it was a great watch. Maybe we'll get Drew in Port Charles this upcoming week. That's my hope. I'll be watching safely from 66 Harborview Road. Thank you so much for joining me again. Man, I just love GH. That's why I do this. It's so great having support out there. 
feel free to send me your opinions. Uh, I have Twitter at 66 underscore view, Instagram at 66 Harborview Road, and TikTok at 66 underscore Harborview Road. From the Quartermain Foyer, I bid you a good week. Thank you.